Good morning. The Old Testament reading is from Psalm 48, found on page 886 in the Red Pew Bibles. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise, in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God. God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament uh, lesson this morning uh, comes from Hebrews 13. Uh, It's on page 1879 of the church Bibles, Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm going to read from verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-blessed God, as we come now this morning to open your holy word and to study it together, we pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that same Spirit who inspired the author as he penned these words. Lord, would he come now and help us as we study these words, that he might guide us, that we might properly read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest these words, that we might be changed by them, and all to your glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is wonderful to be back with you again this year. Thank you for letting me into your pulpit to stand at this holy desk uh, once again. Uh, We were sad to miss last year um, because of circumstances, and so this is the fourth, the fourth time I've preached in, in five years, and if you remember the second year I was here, I mentioned that I'm not often asked to speak the same place twice. Um, <laughs> never figure out the reason for that, but, uh, but so to be asked four, four times is, is astonishing. So thank you for your grace uh, towards me and inviting me back to be part of this wonderful service again. Uh, for a few minutes this morning, I want us to look just at one verse uh, from this passage, from the passage that I read, uh, specifically verse 14, in which we read, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And as we look at this passage this morning, one thing we have to, to remember, we have to keep in our minds, is that life for the recipients of this letter uh, was hard. Uh, the men, the women, the congregation to whom this letter was written were enduring uh, a, a lot of, of suffering and, and difficulty in their lives, really to the point where now they had lost everything, and they had suffered, uh, and they had borne hardship, and they lost everything specifically because of their devotion to Christ. This was a congregation uh, largely made up of, of people who had grown up as Jews. That's why they're addressed as Hebrews here. But they had come to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They had come to see Jesus as he is, as the one who is prefigured and anticipated throughout the Old Testament, that he is the one in whom all the rituals and the traditions of the temple pointed and the one in whom they had come to their fulfillment. They had seen Jesus, and they had grasped hold of him by, by faith, but by the time this letter was written, sometime around 70 AD, the true cost of their discipleship was becoming evident. By this time, Christianity was no longer able to fly under the radar and benefit from the Roman misconception that Christianity was just another Roman sect. It was becoming evident that Christianity was distinct from Judaism, and what that meant was that Christianity was no longer able to benefit from the provisions and the special dispensations that the Romans had given to the Jews, those dispensations that allowed them to be accepted from the Uh, Roman polytheism and the emperor cult. 
And the result was that it was beginning to cost the Christians. It was beginning to cost these Hebrew Christians. As the writer of this letter points out in chapter 10, they were facing the confiscation of their property because of their Christianity. In fact, they were even being thrown into prison because of their devotion to Christ. And the result was that some, at least in this congregation, were beginning to wonder whether or not Jesus was really worth it. They were beginning to wonder if they could maybe just give up their commitment to Christ and return to their former way of life in Judaism. This was a congregation that was struggling. They were suffering. And into this comes this letter, which outlines in in detail for this congregation, trying to impress upon them that regardless of how much they have lost, what they have gained in Christ is far greater. For those of you who have read this book, which I'm sure is, is most of you, You know how this is a a beautiful explanation of how Jesus came to fulfill all the Old Testament ceremonies and rituals. The author goes through every one of them and shows, makes the link, how, how Jesus has come to fulfill the thing that had been signified. And he teaches his readers of how in Jesus the glorious new covenant reality has been inaugurated through Jesus' sacrifice of himself, which has finally and fully removed the guilt of his people. And here in chapter 13, as the author is, is bringing his letter to a conclusion, he essentially recaps everything that he has said. You, you've heard, I'm sure, that it's the mark of a good teacher that they tell you what they're going to say, they tell you it, and then they tell you what they've said. And there's a sense in which that's what the author is doing here. He, is, he wants these, his congregation to, to, to understand what he's saying. He wants them to get it. And so in that portion we've just read, he, he essentially recaps in shorthand the substance of his letter. He reminds them of everything that he has said, and he crucially points them towards this wonderful truth in verse 14, that we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In other words, as the author brings his letter to a close, he says to them that in order to push through their hardships, in order to endure under the suffering that they were facing, The key was not to look back to their former way of life in Judaism, but instead it is to fix their eyes on the horizon and to concentrate on the place that is to come. The way to stand up, the way to bear this difficulty is to remember the sure and certain hope they have in Christ. And we can relate to the temptation that the Hebrews were facing, can't we? Now, of course, we don't have a one-to-one correlation. We aren't facing the level of persecution that these Hebrews were facing. We don't have the weight of an empire coming against us because of our commitment to, to Christ. We are not suffering for our faith as they were suffering. But while the cause might be different, 
I think every one of us knows what it is to suffer. We know what it is to face difficulty and hardship. We know what a struggle it can be to live in the midst of this fallen world. We know the normal struggles of life, the the heartbreak of broken relationships. We know the tremendous grief that comes with the loss of a loved one. We know the struggles of aging. We know the challenges of parenting. And of course, we could go on and on. Every one of us, in our own way, we know what it is to struggle. And like these Hebrews, it is incredibly tempting for us, in the midst of that struggle, to believe that that things could be better if only we could just be somewhere else. If only we could just get back to a life that is now lost. For some of you, life has never been the same since you graduated from high school. Those were your glory years. You were the the quarterback on the football team. You were the uh, cheerleader. You You were kings and queens of the world. Those were years of of carefree delight, years of popularity and success. And, and as you struggle, you dream and you think, if only, if only I could get back there. If only I could regain those years, how much better everything would be. For some of you, it's the glory days of your profession. Those halcyon days when... Every day you left the house driving to work, not knowing what lay ahead of you, and and the adrenaline flowed. And you loved that cut and thrust of the new challenges that came up every day for you to tackle and overcome. And in your retirement, you look back on those days, and, and you look back on them wistfully thinking, if only you could get back there, then everything would be okay. Or maybe, and this is probably true for many of us here, especially this morning as we're surrounded by this tartan and as the sound of the bagpipes continues and continues to ring in our ears, our hearts are stirred when we think about Caledonia. And we're tempted to think, if only we were in Scotland, then it would all be much better. And after all, Scotland is, let's face it, pretty much perfect. <laughs> right, you, you've seen the pictures, you've watched the videos, you've seen the movies. It's ideal. Right, every year for Christmas, my mother gives me a little calendar that's put out by the Scotsman newspaper. Uh, I think it's a part of a long propaganda campaign she's re- running to get us to move back And every month, this little calendar has just a little picture that reminds me of just how stunningly beautiful Scotland is. Pictures of of lochs and rivers, pictures of, of mountains and glens, pictures of Edinburgh and Perth and Inverness, though interestingly, never pictures of Glasgow. Um... And as you look at those pictures, it's easy to think, this looks like Eden. 
It looks perfect. If only I could climb through that picture and sit there and dangle my feet in that babbling burn, then everything would be okay. Of course, this is reinforced for those of us here who have been blessed by being able to go to Scotland, who know what the, the air smells like in Edinburgh in the mornings as the, as the smell of the breweries carries across the air. <laughs> it's beautiful. It really is. It's a smell of, of toasted grain that just gives Edinburgh this unique spell. If you blindfolded me, spun me around six times, then took me to Edinburgh, I would know I was there. It's wonderful. You've you've tasted that crisp, cold water. You, You know what it is to stand on the shore and get beaten by the spray from a raging North Sea. You've felt that soft green grass under your feet. As we struggle here, Scotland can seem like Eden. It can seem perfect, and we can think to ourselves, if only I was there. In the midst of our sufferings, we can look at those pictures and think to ourselves, my heart is in the highlands, my heart is not here. My heart is in the highlands chasing the deer. Or as Robert Burns might have put it, wherever, or as he did put it, wherever I wander, wherever I rove, The hills of the highlands forever I love. But of course, as much as I hate to admit it, Scotland isn't perfect. Despite the pictures, despite wonderful experiences, Scotland isn't the solution. It's not the Eden that we're tempted to think it is. There is sin there, just as there is sin here. There is sorrow there, just as there is sorrow here. There is hardship there, just as there is hardship here. And so the exhortation of this letter comes to us this morning, and it says to us, in the midst of our difficulties, don't look back. Don't get caught up in a, in a wistful nostalgia. It comes to us and says the solution to our struggle and our heartbreak is not a wistful longing for a life that has passed or a life that we can conjure up in our dreams. But instead, it comes to us and it says to us that that, that the way to, to persevere, the way to press on in the midst of those hardships of life is to realize that here we have no lasting city. But we do have a sure and certain hope of a perfect city that is yet to come. Despite the hardships of this present world, if we are united to Christ by faith, We have the sure and certain hope that through him we will one day be at home in a city that will finally and fully fulfill all the longings of our hearts. And what the writer is describing, of course, is the city that John sees in Revelation 21. You know the passage. John, in his revelation, sees Uh, Luke's, and he says, then I I saw a, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. What John saw and described for us what the altar to the Hebrews is alluding to, it's this new Jerusalem, this perfect city that lies at the heart of the new heavens and the new earth, that that perfect restored creation in which we will dwell intimately with God, freed from all the burdens and guilt of sin, and freed, crucially, from all the effects of sin. In that city, we will will be free. We'll be free from sorrow. We'll be free from trouble. We'll be free from hardship. We will be a people at rest. That's where our minds and our hearts need to be focused. Not looking back, but looking forward on this wonderful truth of the gospel. The good news that through faith in Christ, we have a future home. In which, to quote this Jesus Storybook Bible, a future home in which every bad thing will come untrue. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We have a desire for peace and rest. We have a desire to be free from suffering and hardship and grief and mourning and pain. We have a desire to be in a world free from trouble, and nothing in this world can satisfy that desire. Not even a remote Scottish hillside. But there is a place that can. There is a city that is yet to come, the new Jerusalem, that will lie at the very heart of this restored creation. There, in Christ, we will finally be able to sit down in green pastures, sitting by still waters, enjoying full union and communion with our God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we confess that life in this present world is hard. We find ourselves, by your grace, Not struggling every day, but yet we know what it is to struggle. We know what it is to mourn and to grieve. Oh Lord, we thank you that you're a God who is full of love and mercy. And in your grace, you have not just left us here, but in Christ in his victory over sin, in the establishment of his kingdom and his resurrection. In Christ, we have this promise that one day he will return and he will make all things new. 
And we will finally be able to rest and find peace for our souls, that rest and peace that we crave. O Lord, as long as we are in this present world, we pray that you would help us not to escape into a world of nostalgia or dreaming, but that you would help us always to keep our minds fixed on this hope, to keep our minds fixed on this new Jerusalem, and to be praying earnestly, come, Lord Jesus, come, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.